welcome to That Happiness Show. I am Gemma Fossett, host and creator. I bring you my 25 years experience in finding happiness. You are the creator of your reality and thus you do create your happiness too. This is no longer about chasing the dream, but learning to stand in your power and receive. I am frequency expert, artist, teacher, and grateful mommy, here to guide you with the tools, ideas, and education around raising your frequency, learning to be present, and finding the happiness you deserve. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, this is Gemma. I'm so happy to be speaking with you today. What a wonderful, wonderful day. We have snow outside, and I think Phoenix is going to be sledding, sledding at Grandma's today. <clears throat> today, I wanted to do my podcast on what my dog taught me about dying. Isn't that interesting? I have had many dogs die under my care and watch, and every one of them gave me something special to see about death and dying, and I have been grateful for all of them. Uh, one dog in particular, her name's Lolita, she taught me so much about dying and death and how to do it in a way that I would want to do it. Like I was blown away by just how dignified she was, how joyful, how present. Oh, that's the one. I mean, she was so present and it was just like magic. I, I, I didn't take her to the doctors to try to prolong her life and medicate her. I didn't, um, I didn't want her in pain, um, but she didn't appear to be in pain. So what I did was um, I was just there for her. I, when she was having, she started refusing food. When she was sleeping more, I considered her hospice. She was, she was becoming emaciated. And I just trusted that this was the process of, of living, dying. And um, I just was there for her. Now, what Lolita did that blew my mind was she made choices for herself. She made the choice to like not eat so much, to um, go from eating to just drinking, and then to minimize drinking. She chose to sleep more. But then she made these unusual changes that blew my mind. So let me describe Lolita before, before she went into hospice mode. Lolita was a chihuahua, a deer chihuahua, with long legs and a skinny, almost almost like a whippet-like body. Very skinny, thin. She was a chihuahua that at her peak maybe weighed seven pounds. Um, she had a long nose and um, perky ears, and she had the shortest fur on her. Like, it was so short, you could only pet her one direction because the other way would be like sandpaper. It was like, and her head was so tiny, you could only fit two fingers on her head to pet her, um, to pet her head. Otherwise, you're just hitting her big ears. She was like bat ears. And she had a long neck, and she was like a model. The The dog just, she carried herself with a presence of a model, a long-legged beauty. And even though she had scarring on her face from a previous owner, <clears throat> um, what did the owner, like the owner abused her, uh, taped her mouth shut to keep her from barking. So even though she had scarring um, and she had emotional scarring, this dog 
was just such a, a force to be reckoned with in our family and not violent in any way. She just was the matriarch of the animals. Like she just, and she was so stoic and beautiful. She loved fruit. She had her own, like when I first got her, she was coming out of this abusive situation that took her to the pound that then I adopted her. And it took a year for her body to heal. But when she recognized like the love and the the situation she was in and her place within the family, and I had two other dogs at the time, she just immediately found her own place. And initially, which was very interesting, she was drawn to gay men. That was her thing. If there was a gay man, she wanted to be with them. Then she started including lesbians. And I saw this and it was just so amazing. She wasn't really connecting to me and I didn't need her to connect to me. She was part of our family. She knew that. But when um, other friends of mine, maybe a a gay woman showed up, she would just glom on them. Now, if um, if it was a man, she would take a man over a woman any day and gay or not, she would take a man over a woman. And then gradually she just started to become more of this universal lover. However, she was a strong, strong uh, chihuahua who didn't feel this need to please other people or show up for them. If she felt like saying hi to you, she'd come and say hi. She'd say hi for a second and she'd go away. Very cat-like. And when, um, so that was how she was. And, and people wanted to like, cause she was so cute and beautiful and they w- would want to like, say hi to her or something, but she had her own ideas and she did life her way. I was very impressed with that, how she did life her way. This was a dog that loved fruit. It didn't matter what fruit I was cutting up. Maybe she wasn't too keen on bananas, but she loved melons. She loved apples. She loved peaches, pears, those kind of fruits. She just loves them. Watermelon. Oh my God. She loved watermelon. And if if she even thought I was going to cut some fruit up, boy, she was right there by my side begging like it was the, you know, a tenderloin or something. And, um, the other dogs would show up with her thinking there must've been something good going on and they would follow her. And then they would be like, what? They would have one bite and they'd be like spitting it out. Or maybe they'd eat one or two because Lolita was just like enthralled with the food, you know, with these fruit pieces. So they would eat a couple, but then they would like back out. They were like, enough, this isn't too kosher. <laughs> and But Lolita would eat as much as I would give her. So she was totally into the fruit. So these are two key things. Now in bed when we slept, Lolita had her own space on the bed, but she didn't have to be up next to me. She could be at the foot of the bed. She was totally happy with that. And on top of the covers, she didn't have to get under. Although I, I think in the winter, because she was so short for it, she might have got under the covers at the bottom. She did her own way. Now, all that said, let me bring you to the end. Now, when she started doing hospice, things changed. Now, I would have thought it would have changed, like devolved. Like devolving, I thought for her behavior would have been more distant, more reclusive, more everything that was um, not living. But this is where things get really amazing. So I was very present for Lolita uh, during her transition 
and her hospice time. And I was very aware it was hospice. So I was giving her a, a, a I was keeping an eye on her. If um, she was weak, I would help move her. Uh, I, I checked if she had to go to the bathroom and um, all this kind of stuff. And the other dogs were keeping an eye on her too. Now this is what changed. When someone would come to the door, now Lolita often, she, she wasn't too keen. She would stay in the dining room in old days, like two rooms away from the front door. And just from there, watch who came in and maybe she'd give it a bark or something to say, Hey, you know, who's this stranger coming in? But she would stay far away. Now, as soon as she's going into hospice, all of a sudden I find this dog running to the door every time someone comes in. Not only does she run to the door, she's running not to, not to warn me that there's a stranger, but to say hello to them, to welcome them into the home and be very happy that they were there. And she would celebrate the people for a couple minutes which was just unheard of before. And she would be so excited. And um, and then she would go lie down. And it was beautiful. And she wasn't barking. She was just wagging and excited to see these strangers or friends, whoever came to the door. So that was key number one. And I was just so mesmerized by this. Number two, she stopped eating, right? I mentioned that she stopped eating when she went into care. Fruit was still her favorite thing. And so as she stopped eating and she was still drinking water, she would come if I was cutting fruit up and want to have some fruit. So I would give it to her. In early days of hospice, she was eating the fruit, but not as much as she used to. She'd have a few pieces and then, oh, yeah, you know, and then she would get tired and she'd go lie down. Then it got to the point as hospice went on that she started tasting everything. Anything I prepared in the kitchen, she would come and beg for it and taste it. And she would taste everything. Now, when I say taste, that's because she would want to have it. I'd give it to her. She'd munch on it and then spit it out. So she was still continuing with this idea that she wasn't going to eat. But she was present and enjoying and tasting. And I was just like so blown away by this. Now, someone else might have interpreted that behavior differently. But I saw her as enjoying the moment. And she was enjoying it. I could see it in her face. And I thought this was really wild. So that was another thing she did. Uh, Tuesday nights, I would have my Tuesday night meeting. You may remember I used to talk about those. Tuesday nights, I would have a group of people over. And um, so uh, what she would do is uh, find two people. And this was new too. She didn't used to snuggle up to people uh, in my meetings. She would go off and lay in her own bed or whatever. But at Tuesday night meetings, she was so excited. All these people came. She greeted them all at the door. And then she would sit down with a couple people on the couch and lay next to them. And these people often, she would choose people or they would choose her to sit next to that would do Reiki on her. And people who are proficient in animal Reiki. And they would do the magic on Lolita. They would they would be sending energy to her. They would be working on her for two hours, two to three hours working on her. And often these very people at the end of the meeting would come to me um, as soon as being over and say, I think tonight's the night. <laughs> and, and sure enough, I mean, Lolita looked dead on the couch. She was so relaxed from all this energy work. She looked dead. She looked completely relaxed. And I'd be like, okay. But as we would visit after the meeting for 15 minutes or whatever, 20 minutes chat afterwards, Lolita would suddenly perk up. And she'd jump off the couch and she'd be more alive than she was before the meeting. And these people would like be shocked. They thought they had done their magic 
and they had, you know, given her the space to transition and they had helped the process. And then it would turn to me and say, you have to let her go. But I was not holding my little puppy. I told her all the time, you're welcome to go. But this dog was determined to enjoy every moment of life she had left. So she would do this every Tuesday with them. And then we went on retreat. And she hadn't passed before the retreat. So I informed the man who we were renting from. By now, Lolita couldn't have been more than four pounds. Honestly, she was so emaciated. And I told him, I have a dog in hospice. I know you have a no dog policy. But I have to tell you that my dog has to come because she's in hospice. I'm caring for her. I'm carrying her. I'm holding her. And um, she can't harm your property in any way. She has no fur to drop off. So it's all good. And, and I told him this was an, it just was happening. He didn't argue with me. He just was like, whatever. And um, while we were there, at one, like Lolita seemed like she was at death's door. Then while we were there, at one point, someone informed me that she got out of her bed and walked into this glen area. It was like short grass, leaves, trees. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, it had probably been mowed, uh, but the grass was kind of long now. And so I went to find her thinking, well, maybe she walked off to pass or transition in this meadow. And I found her and she, you know, was laying down. She looked at, but she wasn't, she wasn't, she was resting. She was taking in the grounding effort or the grounding effect of the, of nature and the trees and the sunlight. She was in a sun, little dappled sunlight and she was so happy. And so I put her in her bed and carried her back and we were packing and it took us hours to pack and Lolita was resting then in the car on the way home, I was sitting next to my friend who was driving and I had Lolita on my lap in her dog bed. And we were we were still high from the whole weekend of this retreat we had done, we'd put together. And we were talking and animated and Lolita was awake the entire hour and a half we drove home. And she was watching this conversation. And when I spoke, Lolita's head was turned towards me and she's wide-eyed focused on me and then when Christina was talking she was wide-eyed focused on Christina talking and she looked back and forth between us as the conversation bounced back and forth and I was so amazed to see her doing this and then we get to my house and unload I carry Lolita into the house in her cat bed and put it on the couch and we unload the car then my friend leaves and then I put everything away and maybe a half hour, hour to do that. And then I wasn't sure what to do with Lolita. I wanted her as comfortable as possible. I was a little nervous to touch her for fear it was hurting her. And then I finally was like, what am I thinking? And I took her bed down to my room because I just didn't know how long it would be. I took it down to my room, my bed. I sat her on there. And at first, again, I didn't want to touch her. But then I thought, you know what? I scooped her out of the bed and held her in my arms and just loved on her. And five minutes later, you know, she passed. And it was so beautiful to be part of the entire thing. I mean, it was so beautiful that she included me in her journey. No, I'm crying. I cry every time I tell this story because it's so beautiful to me. And it just shows the power of being present, the power of enjoying every moment and celebrating every moment. So Lolita just passed in my arms and it was so amazing. And my two other dogs, because I was home, they were there with me. We were all together. And it was just 
so perfect. I can't even tell you. And it's those moments that I will never forget that when I go to transition, I will embrace. I mean, I'm embracing them now. I mean, basically Lolita's death taught me how to live. And we all have the ability to be fully present, to appreciate everything, every moment. And to truly just embody what it is to be in this place. You know, it's not about fear and worry. And we get no satisfaction from that. We get no insight. We get no inspired action. So why waste our time on fear, worry, stress, anger, jealousy, all these things? Why would we waste our time on that? It makes no sense to me. And so I have used these moments of of pure of pure like spirit to to form my experience of life and i've i just feel so blessed to have it all around me so this is what i'm embracing as my mom is transitioning and i'm honoring these moments of my mom's transition when she's fully present and when she's uh you know appreciating when she's grateful when she's happy you know when she's comfortable I'm embracing these I'm not shirking the others but neither am I dramatizing it and I'm not making it all about the name I'm not making it about the problems we want to celebrate life in every moment even in a transition and that's what my dog taught me about death so I feel very blessed for that thank you so much for this this moment I love you bye now for joining us on that happiness show if you'd like more information or have questions you can reach me at gemmafaset.com or 401-699-6142 private sessions are available as well as retreats it is time to wake up and learn to love yourself again thank you for listening this is Gemma Fawcett, host of that happiness show